So a recent article in the medical journal, The Lancet, begins with these words. Imagine a condition that makes a person irritable, depressed, and self-centered. It's associated with a 26% increase in premature mortality. Imagine, too, that around a third of people are affected by it. Imagine that income, education, sex, and ethnicity are not protective. And imagine that this condition is contagious. Anyone can catch it. Many people will. Such a condition does exist, the article concludes. It is loneliness. What a thought that isolation can be contagious. And uh, numerous studies have found that loneliness, isolation, it affects everything about us, mental and spiritual and physical. And in fact, just this week, an article in the LA Times said that loneliness can even affect your driving. Even though the number of cars on the road has decreased during the pandemic, the number of accidents on the road have increased dramatically. And the National Safety Council, this is the body concerned with driving standards in the US, admitted they were baffled by this. Why would fewer cars have more accidents? And eventually they discovered the reason is because the drivers feel lonely. Because they feel lonely, it seems the more isolated and the more disconnected and the more selfish they became in the last two years, the less they cared about other people and the less they cared about themselves. So they took greater risks and they drove badly. The Lancet concludes, loneliness is a universal problem exacerbated by COVID-19 and by modern life, but it has always been there. And the thing is, all these experts on loneliness are able to observe the problem for us, and they can even suggest a few ways to ameliorate the problem. But none of them, at least as far as I can find, seems capable of explaining to us why loneliness exists in the first place? That's a theological question. The Bible begins with this problem. Genesis chapter 2 tells us God created us all in his image. We know this. Because we're made in the image of God, what that means is that we've been created to, to think like him and to behave like him, to invent things and then explore them and to, to order things and then enjoy them. And Genesis 2 tells us why it is that we find cat videos on the internet just so funny. We've been wired this way. And Genesis tells us that we've been made to, to do life together, to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day, and to say to him as we reflect on the day together, Lord, did you see that thing with the cat? And then to feel God's arm around our shoulder as a father, as he says, yeah, I made that for you. That's God's design. That's how we've been wired. That's how we're made for intimacy with God, that, that he might dwell in us and we in him. And yet even though Genesis tells us Adam had this beautiful, unimpaired walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day, laughing at the cat, and uh, he had all of these things in a perfect world. Still, Genesis 2.18 tells us before the fall, it is not good that man should be alone. 
even in paradise, even with God, even with a cat, Adam felt alone. He was lonely. So God, Genesis tells us, made a companion suitable for him. Clearly this answered some ache deep in his heart because Adam says in verse 23, this at last is bone of my bones. I've been waiting for this at last, he says, and flesh of my flesh. At last, I have someone like me to do life with me and to explore this creation with me and to worship God together. And now things are good. Someone uh, said recently, it's not my idea, but I can't remember who it was. They said that being a a Christian in the presence of another Christian is an amplificatory experience. That that I have my own experience, my own relationship with God, and, and I have my relationship with people around me. But when I have a relationship with a person who has a relationship with God... Suddenly, I'm getting in on all of this. I'm starting to see what God is, is doing in Robert's life, and, and that's making me praise God even more. And then Anne is, is suggesting ideas to me about what God's done for her and admonishing me and encouraging me and, and speaking to me about what the Spirit has for me. And th- this life that we do together potentiates and, and grows. And connectedness always potentiates within a healthy church. This is how we have been made. This is why people feel so lonely. They don't have it. And for Adam and Eve, going back before the fall, that the whole world was their workplace, and it was their home, and it was their playground, and it was their church. I know how they feel <laughs> living on this hill. It's, uh, it's all there for them. And then Genesis 3 tells us, and we know this too, that very quickly it all came to an end. Very quickly. It was ruined. Sin enters the world. And the curse comes. And God says to Eve, uh, verse 16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You just will not get on the same anymore. You're going to want different things. You won't always get your way. Sometimes you'll compromise and those will be the good days. Sometimes you will lose. And your walk with me will not be the same either anymore. You won't always feel that arm around your shoulder. And so I want to suggest to you that our desire for intimacy and our feelings of loneliness have a theological origin, and it comes from the curse. And this ache for connection, to be restored, lives in the hearts of men, and it lived in our hearts for thousands of years without hope until at last It is fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, where we open our Bibles today. Luke 1, please. Let's turn with uh, one another to that. Verse 39. In those days, the days of loneliness, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. Why in haste? It's a little detail. But the answer is, of course, you always rush when you have good news. And where does she go with the good news? But she goes to someone she knows. She goes to family. She craves intimacy. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So Elizabeth is pregnant as well with John the Baptist. This is the person we've been hearing about these last two weeks. And so these two women meet cousin to cousin, bump to bump baby to baby. 
And that's not all. Because we're told here now that Elizabeth has a charismatic experience. As she is, verse 41, filled with the Holy Spirit. What that means is, as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, is that these two women are now closer than they've ever been before. Mary is filled with Jesus. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're both filled with God. This word filled uh, means fulfilled. Like, you know, I've been waiting for a thing, and it's here. Uh, imbued. This, 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 this thing has been imputed upon me and given to me and has saturated me. And uh, Loveless, uh, the Greek word, it, it means fully furnished. That's a sort of fun idea. The Spirit has moved in, unpacked his things, and is now totally at home in Elizabeth, just as Jesus is at home in Mary. Dare I say even more, because Jesus is going to come out of Mary. The Spirit is not going to come out of Elizabeth. When we uh, moved here from the UK, we brought with us just eight suitcases, and uh, we slept on the floor in the house down there. And when the container arrived on the ship two months later, we slept in beds, and we lit lamps, and we hung paintings on the wall, and our house in that moment became a home, became ours. God is now at home in these two women. He belongs, he dwells in them. And these two women who were close before, cousin to cousin, bump to bump, baby to baby, they now are having a far, far more intimate experience than they've ever had. And this kind of nearly almost, in a way, is how it was meant to be. That is connectedness. That is a relationship with God and with one another with God. It's spiritual intimacy. And this is what I found as a pastor. This, this is a thing that happens in church. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, as God's image is restored in us, as we start to hang out with other people who hang out with God, and, and that connectedness potentiates, we start to think differently and behave differently, and, and we start to feel less alone. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're not just going to share learned thoughts. It won't be obedient logic. You know, God says this thing, let's do it. It won't just be mutual support. Things that cannot be explained in human terms will start to manifest in the body of Christ when it is a spiritual body. Something deeper, something charismatic will be in evidence among us. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, We have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Uh, if you're looking for it, it's 1 Corinthians 2.13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So Elizabeth has become spiritual. Mary's spiritual, we know that. And so we should expect Elizabeth, as a spiritual person, speaking to Mary, a spiritual person, to share some things that are spiritual, some truths, some new stuff. And she does. Four things, very quickly. She says, she exclaimed with a loud cry. Why loud cry? Because she's excited, and that's how you speak when you're excited and you have good news. Four things. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. Now, scholars 
Some scholars believe that the, the Greek structure of this sentence that we have written down in the New Testament actually reflect, reflects a, a Hebrew phrase behind it, and uh, it might mean supremely blessed are you. This was a phrase, at least in Hebrew, that was reserved for the highest caste, for those who, who were kind of above others. You, Mary, says Elizabeth, and no one from nowhere so obscure that your town and county don't even deserve to be named among the clans of Judah, and no one from nowhere, are now supremely blessed. You, madam, have just become royalty. Second thing. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. There's something unique about your baby. The Spirit tells her, let's spell it out, verse 43, he is Lord. Now, Lord is a phrase that Luke uses 25 times in the first two chapters of this gospel, and every time he does, he uses it to mean God. Your baby is not just a king. Your baby is God, she says with spiritual truth and wisdom. Third thing, Elizabeth observes. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who am I? Humility always accompanies a charismatic revelation. I am no one. I don't deserve this. I'm not impressive. I'm not special. I'm not holy. I'm not good. I have done nothing at all. I am a no one from nowhere. So this blessing must be a gift. It must be unmerited. It must be unearned. It must be grace. Fourth thing. Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped. Now, we know that already because Luke has already told us the baby leaped. But now, with spiritual insight and prophetic wisdom, Elizabeth is able to tell us why the baby leaps. The baby leaped, she says, for joy. The fetus, John, has a charismatic experience as well. As soon as John comes into the presence of God, albeit two uteruses away, he feels joy. And it's like John, this, this, this pre-linguistic blob who won't even speak his first word for about a year, says in his heart, at last, here is this connection that I have been waiting for all my life. That which was missing in my life, indeed missing in the whole world, is now here. He has arrived. So John, the fetus, experiences joy. This is extraordinary, if you think about it. Many would tell us, would they not, that a, a fetus or a baby is not a person, just a clump of cells to be treated as we like, to be disposed of, or, or even sold for parts. But God says, no, that's not true. That is a person made in my image and created to enjoy life, created with feelings, created to know me. And this is extraordinary as well, because many would tell us that the womb is this place of, of, of sort of nothingness, of, of, of uh, blissful ignorance. 
And then if only we could get back to the womb, we could be happy. There are companies, mostly in California, that sell, sell these sort of weird saline bags that you can float around in and pretend you're back in the womb and then you'll be okay. But uh, for the fetus to feel joy in this moment reveals to us that until this moment, something was missing. Something was not there. And this thing was only filled when he met Jesus. John the fetus was suffering from a universal human condition until he met Christ. He was alone. When he came into the presence of Christ, he leapt with joy because at last he was not. If you feel alone, I want you to know you're not alone. One of the problems of loneliness, I think, is that often, as humans, our own thoughts make it worse. We're unique in that not only do we suffer, but we suffer the suffering. You know, why am I suffering? Why me? Why is that person better off than me? Why, what, what could I have done differently? If only I'd done this, then we would be okay. If only I'd, I'd, I'd done this and that and the other one, not done this. And I want to suggest to you that just as a, a Christian community amplifies connectedness, I want to suggest to you that isolation amplifies loneliness. It gets worse. When you're alone with your own thoughts and no one else, often the, the, the sort of fantasies of your own mind and the speculations of your own mind, the churnings of your own heart uh, make it even worse. In that place, if you've been there long enough, perhaps uh, you've come to believe that you deserve to be alone, that it's your lot in life, that it's your fault. Uh, and perhaps you've even gone further than that and you've come to believe that Therefore, because it's your fault, God could not possibly have anything for you. If that's how you're thinking, I want to rebuke you. You are not thinking with the mind of God. That is not a spiritual thought. Tell me, please, what did Mary do to deserve her blessing? What did Elizabeth do to earn her blessing. Both women tell us nothing at all. And if you don't believe me, I want you to test this theory at the extremes. What did John do to deserve his blessing as a fetus? I mean, he was, didn't learn anything. He couldn't say the Lord's Prayer. He wasn't a tither. He did nothing. He's minus three months old. But like Mary and like Elizabeth, John receives a blessing. And we're being told something here. God comes to him. Therefore, God can come to any of us. This is so important. A few years ago, my friend Dave uh, took his own life. And uh, David had worked for Planned Parenthood. And he'd become immersed in a culture that was very casual and I think even we can say commercial about human life. And he was a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood and uh, he called me and uh, expressed a conflict within himself. Everyone around him was telling him the more money he raised uh, the better work he'd done and how, how good he was and how helpful it was. But in his heart he knew something wasn't quite right. 
His marriage broke down as a result of this, and he was out partying all the time, and, and Dave was brilliant. He played in a band. He was incredibly popular. He was immensely clever, certainly the smartest lad in my school. He had all sorts of hobbies, and uh, he said to me, nonetheless, on the phone, just before he died, that he felt alone. Truth is, we all do. Every one of us. And the reason why all these experts on loneliness are scratching their heads so much and, and wondering how to fix this problem and why it's so prevalent is because they all believe that the solution lies within us to fix ourselves. That is not the good news. The solution lay within Mary and came out. The good news is that Jesus Christ stepped into a lonely world and then gave his life in exchange for ours so that together by grace we might be reconciled to God. The fact that even an unborn child receives this blessing is all the evidence that we need to know it is not down to us to find Jesus. Advent is about him coming to you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that you've come into this world for us. Many of us do indeed feel lonely, for we fear loneliness. But you, Lord Jesus Christ, are calling us into an eternal relationship with you and into the presence of those who know you and are being transformed by you. Make us, please, Heavenly Father, spiritual people, with you, Holy Spirit, fully furnishing our hearts. Redeem us, Lord, and come, Lord Jesus, we pray.